When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to the Match of My Career podcast. My name is Todd Schooler, and on this podcast, I'll be interviewing ex-tennis players on one of the most memorable matches of their career. In this episode, I'm speaking with Australian tennis player Stephen Huss. Stephen played on the tour for 11 years, from 2000 to 2011. He reached a career high of 817 singles, but it was on the doubles tour where he had the most success. He won four doubles titles, including Morocco, Beijing, Montpellier, and there was one other, Wimbledon, 2005. Today we'll be discussing that match and all that surrounded it. It is a fascinating story, and one that should inspire any player on the tour to keep pushing, because you never know what's around the corner. Here's my chat with Stephen Huss. Stephen, thank you for joining me on the podcast. I really appreciate your time. Of course, happy to be here, Todd. So in your career, you reached a career high of 807 in singles and 21 in doubles. You won 18 Challenger titles in doubles and eight ITFs. I think it's probably fair to say you're most well known for the match we're going to delve into today, and that's the 2005 Wimbledon final, uh, which you won with South African Wesley Moody. You're probably sick of talking about this. You've probably spoken about it ad nauseum, but obviously there's always new fans to tennis. Um, A lot of people maybe didn't follow tennis as closely 17 years ago, so I appreciate you taking the time to talk about this match. No, no problem. Yeah. And I mean, it's a doubles match as well. So, uh, yeah, I think that, um, you know, my family were probably reasonably interested, although my mum probably fell asleep while, while she was watching it. But, uh, yeah, there's a, and a few friends might have tuned in. But, yeah, it'd be good, to, it'd be good for, uh, for a couple more people to, uh, to remember that yeah. a, an Aussie won Wimbledon doubles in 2005. So, yeah, yeah thanks for having me. It'd be yeah, fun. No, no worries at all. Um, so, leading up to the, to the tournament, uh, you probably played challenges pretty much all year, um, more or less. What was the goal going into Wimbledon? Yeah, I was actually, I had it in my mind that um, that that Wimbledon was going to be my last Wimbledon okay. um, because I'd been struggling earlier in the year, hadn't been winning too many matches. You know, my ranking had dropped from, you know, inside probably probably well inside top 100 to close to 100 um, and so looking ahead I thought all right who's a who's a good partner that I can play with for my last Wimbledon and this was a you know a few months in advance that I was thinking about it uh, thinking yeah this will be my last Wimbledon that's my favorite tournament let's try and you know tee up a good partner in advance rather than trying to scratch around and find someone last minute and I've done well with Wesley Moody early in the year at a, a challenger in January and I thought oh there's a guy that loves the grass he serves in volleys he's got good volleys a big serve so yeah I'm going to ask him and so I, I did I asked him quite a long way in advance I knew that he'd be playing qualifying singles um, so yeah I was playing challenges all the way up and then obviously you know we're in the qualifying for Wimbledon not not even in the main draw so mm. that's that's kind of what I was thinking ahead of time yeah yeah so the goal was probably just to get out of qualifying at the start really wasn't it 
yeah, it was just, like I said, it was find a partner who I'm comfortable with that I feel like I can do well with um, and enjoy, you know, what I thought was going to be, you know, likely my last Wimbledon. Yeah. And Wimbledon's the only Grand Slam that has doubles qualifying. And I think they've even just dropped that now, haven't they? Yeah, they have. Um, at that time, yeah, I did play US Open doubles qualifying in the early 2000s, but I think uh, Wimbledon was the only one that had it for quite yeah. a while. And now they've just dropped it. Yeah, absolutely. That's, yeah. that's true. Yeah. So you, you managed to win your two matches in qualifying. You, you've reached the main draw. Obviously pretty excited about just, just doing that and getting in the main draw. Are you one of those players who likes to look ahead through the draw and see maybe who you might play after round one, two, three, or are you just kind of focused on the match ahead of you? No, I mean, the obviously you check to see who you're playing first round. Mm. Um, and, yeah, you have. A, I think I had a look at who we might play in the second round if we did happen to win. Um, and the good thing was that we played on the first Tuesday in our first round, so... There's only a few matches typically on that Tuesday, at least then, and they'd often put the qualifiers on that first Tuesday. Okay. Um, so we played on that Tuesday, and then one advantage to that was that whoever we played the winner of was almost always playing the day after us. So I was able to actually go out and watch the match live with my own eyes and kind of scout. I was uh, I was like that. I like to watch opposition and try to pick things up um see where i could take advantage or where you know where they were really good so that was an advantage that i felt that we had by playing early in the tournament and basically a day ahead uh, in all the matches except for the final actually so okay. i'm sure we'll get to that yeah no we will so and the reason i asked you about looking ahead is because it would have been enough for you to almost throw in the towel with the run of matches that was ahead of you because you played after that first round you had to play the six seeds in the second round Bupati and woodbridge Third round, you played the ninth seeds, Sumac and Freidel. <clears throat> the quarterfinals, you played the number three seeds, Nolan Lodra. The semis, you played the top seeds, Bjorkman and Murney. And you only lost two sets en route to that final. But if you had to plan that out ahead, geez, it's, it's tough on paper. Yeah, no, absolutely. And, uh, and, and you don't. Um, no, and, of course you, you don't. Know, you don't plan that out and you don't expect that to happen. Absolutely not. But uh, one thing that I was pretty good at throughout my career was that whenever I walked on the court, I knew that there was a chance that I could win and there was a chance that I could lose. And that mm. was regardless of the opposition that I played against. So my career is pretty much littered with, you know, some wins that people wouldn't expect me to have, um, but also some losses that they wouldn't expect me to have because yeah. I kind of respect, respected everybody and knew that every time I stepped on court, I could win or lose. So that was kind of a strength when I played people that were ranked high and had big resumes, um, but also a weakness when I played people behind me because I was wary and worried and yeah. unsure. So it happened both ways for me. And, and certainly, you know, I know we're going to talk about the final today, but beating Todd Woodbridge, who had won it nine times in the second round, um, especially being an Australian and someone that I'd watched for a long time yeah. on TV in Davis Cup. I mean, that was a huge, a huge moment for me. And I guess that's the next question without getting too bogged down in the two-week run. At what stage did you start to let yourself believe or, or did you even think that you could go all the way? Because it's, it's easy to qualify, win a couple of matches, you know, beat someone like Todd Woodbridge and be completely satisfied with that. But after was it after that match you started to believe or did it take a little bit longer into the tournament? 
No, I mean, I never, never believed that I could win the tournament. Okay. Um, like I said, I, I believe that I could beat anyone on a given day. Mm. Um, but to say that I thought that I could win the tournament did not happen one time until we had went, won the semi and we were in the final. Yeah. Um, it, it really didn't. Uh, I, like I said, I gave myself a chance every time I walk on the court. Um, but winning the tournament uh, certainly didn't occur to me until we were in the final. Okay. All right, so you do win that semi-final. You've just knocked over Bjorkman and Murney, who are they're a big team. What are the feelings and emotions after that? Uh, pretty awesome. Um, yeah, I remember them just being huge favourites um, and, you know, the best team in the world at that time, mm. obviously seeded one. I think they'd, you know, they'd won a few slams in the last couple of years, probably, I don't know if it's three, four, five, something like that. But, uh, um, yeah, just joy elation uh i mean we lost the first set in that match 6-2 and we were just outclassed and they were too good um but then we managed to you know to battle back and play better um and i think that that might have been um the best match that i played in, in okay. that tournament that semi-final so um yeah a great memory out on court two um and yeah just so thrilled and happy to be in the final um and, you know, there wasn't much lag time because the final was the next day. Um, right, so okay. every, I think every other match, there, there, there was at least a day in between, whereas between the semi and the final, um, there was no lag time. And actually the other semi-final played at the same time that we played, so I was unable to watch right. the other semi-final the way that I'd been able to in all the other matches that I'd played that, that in those weeks. That pretty much answers what I was going to ask you next. Look, what did you do in between the semi and the final? Did you get a chance to watch the Bryan brothers? Or obviously you didn't now, but do you watch any of their previous matches on video or do you just worry about your own recovery and your own tactics? Yeah, I really look back on this and, and say it was significant because for every match I'd seen our opponents, I'd taken notes on paper. I had a routine where I... Uh, you know, in the evening, I went to the internet cafe and I, I wrote to Peter Lumsden, my coach at home, and I wrote in, you know, my game plan, what I saw, um, what I was going to do. And so it was a really strong routine when I was in. And obviously for that final, I, I hadn't seen the opposition. So it was really difficult. Mm. Um, and I actually ran into Todd Woodbridge in the in the locker room after we'd won the semi and he kind of came over and was, you know, was like, hussy, unbelievable, great playing. And I said, Todd, you know, do you know the Brian brothers? I don't know them at all. Is there anything you can tell me? And and he said, sure. And, he, and then he started talking and he called them lefty and righty. He said, righty likes this, lefty likes this. And, you know, he just, you know, he had played them, I guess, three or four times maybe. And, and he gave me all this information. And then he kind of, I said, thank you. And he walked off. And then I just immediately got a pen and a, and a piece of paper. And I started writing down everything that he told me. And thankfully, my mind must have been in a good place because I remembered pretty much everything that he said. And so I had my routine that I was able to continue to follow. So I had my plan. I had, you know, I knew what I was looking for. Um, and I was able to, you know, again, go to the internet cafe, write Lamo, um, what the game plan was, what I was expecting and what my, you know, sort of process goals were for the match. So I was able to keep that routine, which, like I said, I think was pretty significant. Mm. Well, it's, it's brilliant that, uh, Todd Woodbridge was still there and you were able to run into him because he would have had very good knowledge of them, as you say. Yeah, absolutely. And and everything he said was just right spot on, on point. It was, yeah. yeah, it was absolutely spot on. So it was a huge help. Yeah. Was your family at Wimbledon? Were they watching the whole no. tournament? Or, no. 
Yeah, no, no, no one, no one, uh, no one was there. Uh, my girlfriend was there at the time, who's now my wife, yeah. uh, Milagros. Um, so she was with me. Um, but apart from that, uh, no, a, a couple of uh, a couple of my mates from tour, Ashley Fisher and Todd Perry, you know, two guys who also were playing in the tournament, um, were there and coming to the matches and supporting me. But no, I didn't have any any family there. If you had that extra day in between, would you have been able to fly them out? Do you think, or what? Well, probably wasn't feasible. I don't know. I don't know if my parents would have jumped on a yeah, flight. Okay. Uh, they probably would have said, "No, nah, no, nah, you go ahead. We'll, yeah. you know, we'll, we'll, we'll watch from here." Yeah. Um, although, one of my uh, one of my best friends, Brad Cini, um, who was living in LA at the time, uh, as soon as we won, he booked a ticket and he came over um, with his wife at the time, and so, and they actually their flight was delayed, and they came. I think more than halfway through the match they just came in and saw the end of it but they were able to come to the Wimbledon ball with me which was really cool um so that was the only person that uh that flew in yeah that was Brad and and his wife Katie yeah well onto the actual match so you play on court one you don't get on center court is that a little bit disappointing that the doubles isn't on center court um, I didn't think too much about it at the time. We played the quarterfinal on center court. Okay. Um, so I was, you know, thrilled to get out there on, on center court and incredibly nervous to play mm. in, in that arena. Um, and, yeah, there was rain. Uh, I think it was Roddick was playing Thomas Johansson, if I remember correctly, and there was rain. So they had the, that, the next day on center court and that sort of bumped our doubles to court one. But as I look back on it, uh, obviously, I played on both courts, and court one was an awesome arena. It was yeah. pretty new at that point, and the grass court on court one, I thought, was the purest grass court I'd ever okay. been on, even better than centre court. Um, so while it seems like it's a little little bit of a letdown, having played the quarters on centre, um, the final on court one was awesome. So yeah. no complaints from oh, me. I mean, you play the final on court 17, it doesn't really matter, does it? Absolutely. What were the nerves like as you walk on court for the first first set? They must must have been there, surely. Yeah, it was interesting. Um, I don't think they were as big as some of the other matches. Um, I remember kind of being in the shower the night before and, you know, being excited about the Wimbledon final. And then I, I actually had a little bit of a calmness that we were playing well and I felt that we were going to play mm. well in the final. Of course, I didn't know if we were going to win, but I actually felt really good. Yeah about the level that we were going to bring to the final. So, um, we well, only lost two sets leading up to it, so there's absolutely every reason to think that way, I guess. Yeah, but I mean, it's but it's still, it's a huge match and a, and a big final. Um, and I remember in the in the press conference between the semi-final and the final, which was the first time we were called to press, uh, when I sat down, I said to everyone, I said, I don't want to know how much money I've won. I don't want to know how many points there are. I don't, know what, I don't want to know where my ranking's going because I, I, I literally wanted to keep my routine of, you know, focusing on the match, what my opponents were doing, how I could exploit that. And I didn't want to think about the other sort of noise that wasn't going to help me. So, you know, no one mentioned that stuff, although I'm sure someone wanted to ask me. But, uh, but I was actually, you know, more calm than you would have thought for the final. Just because I had some confidence that we were good, that we were performing well and we're yeah. going to play well. So first set goes on serve, everything goes to plan, I guess. Um, apart from getting that break, but you go into a tie break, and tie breaks are a lottery essentially, especially probably especially in doubles, even more so. What happened for you to get, guys to get the mini break? Do you remember how that how that played out in the tie break? Uh, no, no, I couldn't tell you. 
Um, I, I don't remember. Um, no, I don't. I mean, I know what the score was and I remember yeah. bits and pieces and parts of the match, but I don't know what happened in the tiebreak. I remember feeling pretty comfortable out there that we were holding serve and doing well. Um, Wes was seeing the ball really well. Uh, he was returning clean. Um, so although we didn't break, um, I felt, you know, we were right in the match and I mm. felt I felt pretty good. And I, and I also felt that there was more pressure on them um, to win the match than there was on us. Um, and perhaps that's what came out a little, little bit in the first set tiebreaker. Mm. Um, but, yeah, I couldn't even tell you what the score was in the first set tiebreaker. I, I don't remember. I have a feeling it was 7-4. Um, but there's a, I can't find any highlights of the match on YouTube. So, actually, I was going to ask <laughs> you, do you have a copy of the match? Yeah, actually, this came out at my local club here not long ago. Someone was asking me and, and, they, and they were saying, oh, the Bryan brothers have scrubbed you off the internet. Like, you just cannot find you can't. anything anywhere no. on, on the match. And I was actually uh, probably – probably two months ago I was cleaning out some boxes that we had in a garage and I found the DVDs from the quarters, the semis and the finals. So, wow. I mean, no one, no one's got a DVD player anymore. So I'm going to have to see if I can get them converted to something a bit more modern. Yeah. Um, Upload them but to yeah, YouTube, no, please. It's, <laughs> it's hard to find anything out there. there. There's nothing out there on the match. No. Um, so <laughs> maybe no. Bob and Mike have had, scrubbed it from their memories and from the internet. <laughs> so have you watched a replay of the match yourself? Uh, I mean, many not, years ago, possibly. I did, yeah, years ago. Yeah. Um, you know, in the aftermath, I, I watched it another time at yeah. some point. Um, but not for you know. I mean, it's been seventeen years. I probably haven't haven't seen anything for sixteen years. So yeah, maybe okay. in the year after the match, I saw it at some point, but not since then. No. So you, you're you're a set up in a Wimbledon final. Second set, you broke their serve quite early. I don't know if you remember that. I don't. I don't remember the point, but I do remember that um, Bob Bryan hadn't been broken for the whole grass court season. Yeah. Um, so he'd played. Uh, I think it was maybe it was just Queens and Wimbledon, but he hadn't been broken. He's the lefty with the bigger serve, yep. and we broke his serve in the second set. Um, what kind of lift that. did that give you? Yeah, and that gave us a huge lift. And because we were doing really well on our own serves, um, that certainly gave us confidence. And that's. Yeah. That's the way that the second set sort of went when we got ahead the break. Um, I, I remember feeling nervous on my own serve because obviously mm. I felt very comfortable on Wes's serve because he's got such a huge serve and I feel very comfortable around the net helping him out. So it was really, if we we're going to lose serve, it was probably going to be me. <laughs> and uh, But I was serving well and Wes was volleying well and helping me out and we, and we were never really threatened so yeah I, I remember going up two sets yep yeah so the second set goes perfectly to plan and so you're one set away from from holding the trophy you probably don't remember this but what what would you have been chatting about on the changeover two sets to love up do you even start to you probably don't talk about you know we could win this do you just say keep the process going you know let's keep doing what we're doing or do you try and keep each other calm or is the emotion starting to get to you a little bit yeah no you you definitely don't talk about winning uh we didn't do that um tried to stay in the present as far as yeah no you know we, we haven't done anything yet we you know long way to go like that sort of stuff keep focusing on what what we can control um and then I do remember a little bit of the third, you know, we got to the tiebreaker. Yeah, third set again. I don't, recall, yep. I don't recall any sort of break chances throughout the third set. Um, so I think it was pretty handy both ways on serve. And then in the and then in the tiebreaker, 
I recall them just playing very well in the tiebreaker and just outplaying us. I remember at one point I got a lob over somebody's head and they ran back and like hit a screaming winner down down my line um, off the lob that I'd hit. So I remember, you know, sitting down at two sets to one and thinking, hey, they outplayed us in that tiebreaker. I don't I don't think we did anything wrong. That was the best they've played in the match. And they, they, they stepped up and, and were too good. But uh, you absolutely do have that thought of, Wow, two sets to love up. Could we really lose this in five? Like that—that that is a, that is a possibility. You don't want that to happen. So that that thought definitely entered my 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 mind, and I think that's I think that's normal um, to have that thought. But it's just how much strength do you give it? You know, that's it. It's, it's absolutely normal, and it's also very dangerous too, isn't it? <laughs> absolutely, yeah. I mean, if you stay with that thought and let that kind of control your actions, yeah. then you're going to struggle. Um, but uh, and like you said, they played well in that tiebreak. I think seven two, they dominated it, and it's quite easy to, you know, those first few games of the next set, you, you really got to focus on holding your serve to stop the momentum, and and obviously you did that because you broke them actually early in the fourth set. Mm-hmm. So f- from then on, it was on paper it's smooth sailing, but I can only imagine trying to hold serve the rest of the set was pretty nerve wracking. Yeah, no, I do remember quite a bit about um, about that, and also I have a I have a, a friend Larry Dempster who was happened to be there watching. He's a coach in Melbourne mm. uh, and coached my very good mate Joe Siriani, and he happened to be there watching. and He loves telling the story, and I wish he was here to tell it because he exaggerates it and makes it sound a lot better than it was. But right. we had a break point on Bob Bryan, and and he says that I took Bob Bryan's first serve. It was actually his second serve, but still a big serve. And I hit a clean winner, a uh, clean backhand cross court, you know, clean winner into the tram lines to break serve. And that did happen. But uh, I think Larry says it was a 140 mile an hour first serve, where it was probably a, you know, 110 mile an hour second serve. But still, hey, there's no footage of it. So just let's say it's 140. <laughs> but I, I cleaned a backhand return winner uh, cross court, um, 30 40, I think at one love to go up two love. Uh, and then I held. Three love, um, and then I just remember thinking, "All right, Stephen, hold your serve, hold your serve." Yeah. And when I held my serve to go up, was it five two? I think five two. Um, then I then I thought, "All right, we've got this." Um, but there was a moment um, early in the fourth set where uh, where I looked up and I looked around the stadium, and I actually thought to myself, "Oh my God, you're going to win Wimbledon." Yeah. And then I felt my body tense up like straight away, like everything just went tense. Um, and and then I looked back, I looked back down, I went, oh no. And I was, and I realized that yeah. I'd gotten so tense. And then I just, I looked back down at the grass and I just looked down at the grass and I just said, Stephen, you're playing doubles. You know how to play doubles, keep playing doubles. And so that was a pretty big moment from a psychological perspective. And now that I understand that side of the, the game and com- competing a lot better, I just got myself back to the present um, and I reminded myself that I was on task with something I was comfortable doing, which was playing doubles. And I was able to sort of stop that choke from happening because those few seconds that I had when I realised that, you know, we could win Wimbledon or I felt that I was going to win, we were going to win Wimbledon, um, that was a moment that I could have choked pretty hard, but I was able to kind of control it and remind myself just to play doubles. Well done, well done. So was it Wesley who served it out? It was, yeah. and that, actually that was a um, – I felt super comfortable 
because um, like I said, Wes had a huge serve and I, I loved being at the net when he was serving. Um, but in that game, he caught two ball tosses. So, you know, throws a ball up and then just catches it. And he, he'd probably done one for the whole tournament before that. Um, so you know that there were some nerves there from him. Um, and then on match point, he wanted to serve to Bob's forehand down the tee on the juice side. And I said, no way, mate, you're going wide. Um, I said, if they're going to beat us, he's going to beat us with his weaker weaker shot. Um, so he said, okay. And he hit an ace out wide, but it was a let. So yeah. that, you know, the crowd kind of went, oh, oh. And then I go back and I'm like, and he's like, all right, now T. Uh, no, Bob. Uh, sorry, no, Wes. We're not going T. You're going wide. Because when he went wide, it just brought me into the play. Um, and anyway, so he, he went wide and this time he hit a clean ace um, for us to win the tournament. That's so nice there were definitely some, some jitters there yeah. um, from Wes that, uh, you know, I was able to pick up on. And actually at, at 15 all, second serve, um, I crossed just because I knew that Wes was nervous, that he felt nervous because he was catching his ball toss. Um, and I was like, I, I got to get this volley. And, and, and I felt comfortable being at the net with his serve. So that was, uh, that was kind of the story of the last game. But then, yeah, he hit the ace on, on match point and we didn't have to do anything. That's or nice I didn't to have to do anything. You didn't have to do anything, yeah. <laughs> That's right. Oh, so you hold the trophy up. What happens then? Do you get like do you get straight into party mode with with your friends, or do you have many commitments before you can fully relax and take it all in? Um, well, actually, one thing that we did, which uh, they told me later was uh, pretty peculiar, was that uh, Wes and I did like a, a lap around the court, holding up the trophy. Um, so like you know, a lap of honor, which I, I think that we decided to do. Um, no one told us to do it, so maybe we took it into our own hands a little bit there. But you're only there and once. And then when you, yeah, and then actually when you walk off the court, the first people you see are the drug testers. Um, ah, so, right, yeah. You know, so I often tell people, yeah, well, you know, Stephen Huss won Wimbledon. That he, let's test him straight away. This, there has to be something going on here. So, so I went down and, and did a drug test straight away, and that was. That was pretty easy for me. Um, did that, and then I went up to the locker room, and there was an uh, there was an Australian attendant in the knocker, uh, in the locker room, a guy named Nev uh, Nifty, as we called him, and he was a great bloke. Um, another guy named Gaz works in there in the locker room, and I walked in, and uh, they were standing there with a uh, with a bucket on on ice with a champagne and a couple of glasses, and uh, Nifty actually, who's become a good mate of mine. He had a tear in his eye and he poured me a champers and was like, congrats, mate, unbelievable. And we sat in the change rooms and had a, had a quiet champagne. So that was the, that was the immediate aftermath of, of the match. You obviously remember it very well. That's probably one of the nicest moments of the whole tournament, that 10 or 15 minutes afterwards where you're just sitting in the locker room. Yeah, no question. Mm. And you just kind of, wow, did you know, did this really happen? And, you know, there's nobody there because it's really yeah. quiet and everyone's gone. Um, you know, Bob and Mike were in the seated dressing room downstairs where they got the bigger showers and the bigger lockers. Yes. But I was happy to be. But you I had the bigger trophy. There, there, nifty. And then actually we had to hang around a few hours because we then presented the trophy um, in centre court uh, in the royal box there. I think it was after the... I think it was after the men's, the second men's semi, maybe, or the maybe it was the mixed final. I can't remember, but we had to wait a few hours. Um, so yeah, we were presented the trophy there on on centre court in the royal box, which was uh, which was another another thing that I remember. Sensational. Last quick question: 
winning Wimbledon probably gives you a free pass to everything at the All England Tennis Club, I assume. So how often do you get back there? Well, I mean, obviously I went on. I thought that was going to be my last Wimbledon. I went on and played another, I think it was six more. So I think 2011 was my last Wimbledon. So I was there a, a, you know, a lot more times as a player. And then I've been there as a coach, you know, probably five or six or seven years, something like that. Um, it's always unbelievable to just see my name on the board there. Yeah. Um, that gives a, you know, a little thrill um, going back. Uh, but apart from that, uh, I haven't been back. Um, and when you win it, you get a, you're, you're a final eight member. So I can go back during the tournament at any mm-hmm. time and, and get accreditation for my family and I. So I, I hope to take my kids there one day. My wife played there many times, so it won't be anything new for her. But uh, hopefully one day I'll get back uh, with my kids and show them. But, uh, yeah, I haven't been back recreationally yet. (laughs) Well, mate, get that DVD player out and show your kids the match. (laughs) Yeah, I'm not sure they'd be too interested in uh, in watching all of it, but maybe (laughs) uh, laugh at my hat and clothes and uh, that's about it. Yeah. uh, yeah. Stephen, thank you for joining me. I really appreciate your time. And it was uh, really nice to reflect on one of the best matches of your career. No, absolutely. I mean, that was a that was the highlight of my career, without question. Uh, I never, I never even made a quarterfinal of another Grand Slam again. So, I took my chance when I had it, which I'm I'm proud of. I, I wish I was good enough to put myself in that situation more often, but um, I wasn't. But when I was there, it was uh, it was awesome to grab it with two hands. You'll forever be a Wimbledon champion, mate. Yeah, it's good fun. <laughs> Thanks, Stephen. No worries, Todd. Cheers, mate.